0: Two! Pikachu! Oh, hello, is that the internet? Long time no see. Welcome to Pikachu Podcast. Uh, this is a show where I go through the episodes of the Pokemon anime in order, more or less, and view it from a place of storytelling and character development and how it relates to life and <laughs> just really nerdy observations that show I'm way too invested in this show. It's been a while, a long hiatus, uh, couple of hard years for me. And to that, I'd like to say thank you to all of you for the ways that you've all reached out uh, gently to let me know that you liked this show without demanding more than I was able to give at the moment. Um, The emails and the comments and the notes, the way y'all supported the few times I did poke my head out of my burrow and dare to rejoin the internet. The people who stayed with the Patreon, my goodness, God bless you people. But everybody... Thank you for letting me know that this mattered to you even just a little bit. There were a lot of times the past couple of years where I thought that maybe I should just pull the plug on this show, thinking I'd never get the show back together, never get my life back together. Maybe I should just shut the podcast down, but for better or for worse, I am here, and thank goodness, because Ash Ketchum has been eager to get back on his journey, and I am eager to get back on mine. So let's get into it, shall we? Today's episode is Advanced Generation number 55, Poetry Commotion, and despite that title, Professor Oak is not involved in any of this. But hey, 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 we're finally at Laveridge Town. Laveridge Town is not only known for its gym, it's famous for hot springs, food. You may have heard of some of their cookies. So basically, maze in heaven, food and touristy stuff. This is what she signed up for. The whole reason she went on a Pokemon journey. So yeah, Lava Ridge Town is her place. She's here for the food and the attractions, the spas and the sand baths. And after walking so long up a mountain and having to fight Team Aqua and Team Magma halfway there, her friends are ready to try some relaxation and pampering. Except for Ash. He's caught his hands on his hips like we did not come here to play in the sand. Because this town has a gym, and that's what he signed up for. That's the whole reason they shucked up here, for the gym battle. So no, it can't wait till after the sand bath. And here's an interesting shift from, say, Indigo Jota era to Hoenn. Brock actually agrees with Ash, and so does Max. Like, back when it was Brock and Misty, there were a lot more, lighten up, Ash, we're not here just for you. Except, you know, they totally kind of were. Like, Ash was the one deciding where to go and why, but if they got there and Misty wanted to do something, there was often some pressure on Ash to be patient and wait his turn and do the thing she wants to do first and, you know, later the gym battle. That's not to say it always happened or that Ash always listened. Sometimes he threw a fit and we did the gym first anyway. But that was kind of the general attitude. Some of that is Brock, Misty, and Ash, you know, not communicating super well with each other. Remember, they were terrible friends. <laughs> um... They communicate like they're two 10-year-olds and a young teenager. But also back then, Ash was the only one with an agenda. The only reason they came into any town was for him. So while he'd be miffed that they're doing something else when he wants to gym battle, like this is the whole point we came, there's also a sense of, gee, Ash, we can't always do what you want. This is the one time I'm interested in doing something else. Like, can't you wait for five minutes It's not that anyone's right or wrong, like, Ash is being selfish, or Misty is being selfish, or Brock, like, that, just, that's what the situation was. Misty and Brock's goals were never so dependent on their location, so they were fine to follow where Ash needs to go, which makes it super obvious whenever they have a goal of any ilk, and Ash has other things he wants to do. Here with May, we have a new situation. May and Ash started together doing the gym battle challenge, Now, Ash is doing gyms, May is doing contests. You have two people in this group with defined and very separate goals and objectives. So separate, they have to travel to different cities on different timelines to do them. Now, the group is not always going to go where Ash needs to go, because this time it does matter to them where they go and when and where they end up. Ash has had to be patient, not to the tune of a few hours so May can take a sand bath, but a few days or even a few weeks so that May can go to another part of Hoenn and do a contest battle. So I think here Brock and Max recognize that, that it's Ash's turn this time. He waited for you, May, and now you gotta wait for him. And I love that. I love the complexity that Hoenn introduces because... You know, Brock and Misty, they fought with Ash over a ton of things, but in terms of plot logistics, they were so convenient. They could and did drop everything to be adjacent to Ash's story, and that's not bad storytelling. Like, all those character choices make sense. But in acting, and it applies to writing as well, we talk about making strong choices, bold choices. You craft ideas for a character or a situation and then ask yourself, is there a stronger choice I could make? And that's how you, quote, make it better. And having a character like May who shares protagonist duties and has goals that are physically at odds with Ashes sometimes, that is a strong choice. That gives opportunities for tension and conflict, character moments and growth. It's not Convenient. This inconveniences the characters. It inconveniences the writers, especially when it gets around to season finale time. So there are definitely points where you have to reevaluate your choices, whether that strong choice is going to work in the context of the story arc, but it makes for some dynamism in story beats. And for a show that relies on being very formulaic, like Pokemon does, I like that. I like that they inconvenienced themselves just a little bit. So, Ash and his supportive friends are headed for the gym, but you know who else can use some spa treatment? Team Rocket. They had to follow this crew up the mountain, and to be fair, with all they keep getting blasted off and having to backtrack, they've probably logged triple the steps Ash and company have. For all I joke about Ash being ridiculously fit for a 10-year-old, Jesse, James, and Meowth, they are practically Olympians. So they go to the hot springs. Jesse appears to be wearing her towel in the water, which makes the rating situation easier, but it kind of defeats the purpose of a towel. James and Meowth are a little less on board with this uh, capture Pikachu plan anyway. They're tired, but they do have a job to do. Unlike the twerps, the idea of sharing and fairness and taking turns has never been a factor. We're gonna do what Jesse wants to do, pretty much always. Well, with Ash, the twerps roll up to the gym and are not greeted by any staff. But there is a girl running around on fire. Just a teenage girl on actual fire. This is not the usual thing you see. But it matches the burning fire in Brock's heart. He uses his water Pokemon to put out the flames and then confesses his undying love, Inferno. Max pulls him back before we can see what Flannery's reaction to this is. I'm becoming very interested in how the girls react to Brock lately. I think it's important to note, and I'm sort of starting to not excuse Brock, but if we could take some positive lessons from this whole mess that is Brock... It would be to just pay attention to how people are reacting to your directness so that you can shut up the second it looks like they don't appreciate it. That's probably good whether the topic is romance or not. Just, like, pay attention to how your words are affecting other people. And this could apply to Bonnie as well. Flirting on behalf of her brother, it's certainly less threatening But it's just as full of problems, and the biggest problem of all is... Sheer Brock don't always seem to listen to what the object of their attention feels about what they just said. Because if the person you're putting all this on isn't having fun, it's not really fun for anybody. Brock shouldn't have needed Max to corral him. He should be pulling his own ear away. And then, hopefully, graduate that to a sense for whether... The moment was appropriate to say that in the first place, because maybe now is not the time, Brock. Maybe if you waited five minutes and read the atmosphere a little, the whole conversation could have gone down differently. But anyway, this is Flannery. She trains with some slugma, Mag and Meg, and that's how she caught on fire. <laughs> I love this girl's design. It's so teenagery, and her hair is just an explosion- Flannery is a great design. I truly love her. And she is the gym leader here. So Ash is in the right place. He challenges her to a match. Her slugma team and her torkoal it all promises to be a fiery battle. And Flannery is almost as excited as Ash for a challenger, so they're a good match in that respect. She dives right in, throws some coal at her Torkoal, and is like, yes, we will do battle right here. However, just as they're about to get rolling, Max stops them. After all, gym battles have to be held on an official field. Flannery looks a little embarrassed for having forgot that, but laughs it off. Now, for all of you watching at home, yes, it has happened where a gym battle, or whatever qualified as that challenge, did not happen to be held on an official field. Also, there have been times when Ash has straight up broken the field, so... (laughs) But I'm willing to write off anything that happened in Kanto as an anomaly. Like, that region was straight-up lawless territory when Ash was going through it. Never forget, anywhere from 15 to 27 official chims. One town holding a violent gang war over who got to be the official chim. No one can even find the gym at Cinnabar Island, and the one in Viridian City is run by the Yakuza, like... And even after looking past all that, there's Brock and Misty's family drama. So yeah, canto aside, we're supposed to at least try to follow the rules and make this official. And since we're getting into technicalities, one thing that didn't get cleared up while Flannery was so excited to battle was that at last check, this gym was run by an older gentleman, a Mr. Moore. Brock read that somewhere, and he wasn't wrong. Ash is too busy using his Pokedex on Torkoal, he's like, I will train that someday. But it eventually gets cleared up, sorta. The old gym leader was her grandfather. Also, the gym is trashed. The last opponent to come through here used Dig a lot. Well played, Challenger, good use of type. But the battlefield is a mess because of it. Flannery's been so caught up training that she hasn't had a chance to set it right. Now, since Ash has straight up blown roofs off gyms, I don't think he and his friends should judge her for it. After all, it's got to be a process to repair that kind of damage. There might be some Pokemon attacks that can help with that, but still. And it kind of makes me laugh a little. Like, people in Pokemon together live such interesting lives. Especially when battling comes into play. Like, people will sometimes break out matches on city streets. In the games, you have Pokemon battles in offices. Like... That sort of stuff can just bust through windows, set curtains on fire. It doesn't fit into a modern lifestyle at all. These people shouldn't be living in modern cities and structures and roads and all the trappings we have that they don't really need because they grew up alongside Pokemon like you don't need cars, but they still do it. And that might be the most honest reflection in this show, that even though the most prominent aspects of their culture are incongruous with it. Humans are still like, nope, we are going to control this environment, we are going to build permanent structures and make our marks, I don't care that you can channel electricity, Magnemite, I still need to build this complicated power plant system myself. (laughs) Even in a fantastical, nearly utopian world, we can't change who we are. (laughs) But back to Flannery. We can give her a pass on being so excited to battle that she jumped the gun and, you know, we give her a pass on the field not being quite ready, but when Max asks her the rules of the gym and she doesn't know, he starts questioning her credentials. But despite doubts, she is the gym leader. For three whole days. Ash does a spit take into his orange juice. Like, what the heck, I am a professional? But the story is, Flannery's grandfather, the previous gym leader, was one heck of a battler, but then he started to really get into Pokemon poetry, which was fine. But then when his friend published a best-selling book of poetry all about his journeys with Pokemon, Gramps was like, this is my new life's calling, peace out, and he went to go be a poet. His plan was to travel not only Hoenn, he also wanted to see Johto as well. No mention of Kanto. And given the state of its gym system and organized crime, maybe that's for the best. But so, that left Flannery in charge. Max is still throwing all kinds of shade, but Ash offers to help her clean up the battlefield, like... Misty went through this same thing. And then he can become her first challenger. See, he's such a good boy. Max is being all like, you don't know as much as me, but Ash is just, I believe in you, let me help, like gosh, we should all be that nice. Nonetheless, all Max's helpful commentary does help Flannery to bond with him, May, and Brock in the Offspring of Gym Leaders Club. The kids get to work on the gym, and we cut to a scene just on the outskirts of town. Old Man Moore is still around. He's nervous about leaving Flannery on her own, but he can't come back to check on her, since everyone thinks he's already on the road as a poet but seeing the current state of affairs through binoculars, he's got some concerns. And Team Rocket, nearby, doing some spying of their own, they see Flannery's impressive Torkoal and think of all the many uses Giovanni could have for that. They also catch a glimpse of Old Man Moore trying to spy in disguise and think, well, this is kind of like what we do. It must be Team Magma or Aqua, steer clear of that guy. So this is all the first act. After the commercial break is where it turns into a sitcom episode. Fed up with Flannery's inexperience, Grandpa Moore puts on a disguise and walks into the gym determined to subtly offer help finding the gym's badges and such. Subtle, as in, walks into the bathroom and screams, Oh look, there's a safe! I'm gonna give this one to Flannery. If you move the badge case every week, you can't blame her for not knowing where they are. Also, if your idea of hiding them so they don't get stolen is to put the safe on display in the public restroom, we need to have a talk. Flannery is grateful enough to have found the badges that she doesn't call the cops on this strange dude who walked into her gym and cracked open a safe that didn't belong to him. But the weirdness doesn't end here. Soon, Flannery realizes via Max, they need a judge for this match. Someone's got to officiate to make it official. But the student who always did it for Old Man Moore went on vacation since the teacher skipped town. So who? This is normally where Brock would step in, because as a former gym leader, he would have had the credentials to do that, and by all evidence, still does. But before he can say anything, the doorbell rings. A guy from the I I don't know, a lot of letters in that acronym is here. He's a judge, just happened to be wandering by. And of course, Brock is like, I've never heard of this organization, and I would have. This judge claims to have been sent by the previous gym leader, which makes Flannery feel super loved. Max thinks old man Moore should have prepared Flannery before he went away, not after. I agree with you, Max. He goes on about how irresponsible it was to just up and leave without setting things in order, like. It's implied Flannery hasn't had a challenger yet, so technically the gym mess should have been his responsibility. Old Man Moore, in disguise, has trouble taking that medicine. But soon the doorbell rings again. Now it's a pair of gym maintenance professionals. And Brock's just like, oh, I guess we're just letting all the suspicious weirdos in here now. Okay, fine. <laughs> Meanwhile, Team Rocket, for it is they, had you any doubts, are trying to keep their disguises while also whispering to themselves like, okay, okay, so we are not the only ones running a con here? This this hasn't happened before. I see the old coot and the fake mustache. They are recognized in return by Moore. But what's he gonna say, like, don't trust the people who randomly showed up to help? I mean, except me, of course, I'm completely different. So it only takes a minute for Team Rocket to unleash their plan, which is basically trying to heft Torkoal into a wheelbarrow and book it. After they're caught and they are, they do the motto, and then they try to escape under a smokescreen from Sviper. They make it all the way to the balloon, and now everybody's chasing Team Rocket from the ground, which is, honestly, further than I expected them to get. It looks like it's gonna be business as usual getting Torkle back, so Ash is ready to call out Taylo, but then the grandpa, or the random judge, jumps in and is like, I'll handle this, go, Wingle! So, Flannery knows her grandpa has a Wingle. It does bring down the balloon, and then once again, Grandpa shoves Ash out of the foreground in order to battle Team Rocket judges, man. They take the integrity of a gym match seriously these days. He calls out Typhlosion. Again, Flannery knows what her grandpa's Pokemon are, but we'll handle that plot point later. Jesse wants to retaliate. Seviper battles Typhlosion. Cacnea gets involved. Flannery sends in her Slugma. And while this dramatic battle goes on with flames shooting just everywhere, Max and May get together like, look, Here's what we're going to do. They crawl along outside the clearing, behind some bushes, and they just go free Torkoal. They've dealt with Team Rocket before. They've never had such a great distraction. Of course, they didn't plan on Meowth. He's ready to fight them. But Flannery's on it. She has Slugma shoot a flamethrower in that direction. So after Meowth is barbecued, they bring Torkoal back to Flannery, who has been slowly taking over the battle. Her and Mag the Slugma are dominating. We don't even cut to Typhlosion anymore. And then, the flash of white light. Everything stops because Mag is evolving. Yay. Flannery's stoked, and when the judge runs up to congratulate her, she grabs his hands like, oh, thank you, Grandpa. Also, Gramps, I've got some questions for you. His disguise is basically on day three of the fan convention by this point. They, there's no hiding it. Brock takes the opportunity to introduce himself as a grandson-in-law, which is, like, no, Brock. You get one shot, which is really more than you should get since your shot is a torpedo, but one try. After that, either she follows you or you shut up. That's the rules. Team Rocket has some opinions about the level of disguise game going on here at the Lava Ridge Gym, but let it go. they got thievery to deal with. But they're quickly taken down by the new Macargo and Typhlosion. And then Pikachu, who has been waiting like a coiled spring to take this baton, he jumps in and sends them all flying off with Thunderbolt. So with that all done, Flannery can figure out just what her grandpa's doing here, Max can throw more shade... Like, if you left her better prepared, you wouldn't need to worry about her. But they finish patching up the gym by the day's end. Not enough time to have a gym battle before Ash's bedtime. But maybe May will get her wish and they can try the sand baths. And Brock can flirt some more. Three strikes, dude. You're so out. Flannery is visibly not impressed now. And I do not doubt Flannery is completely capable of kicking your butt... It's gone beyond manners into self-preservation at this point. Like, just quit while you're very, very behind. (laughs) But we close the episode on one of Old Man Moore's poems. As the sun sets, Pikachu gets in the sand. 443. Not heard that Senrio form before. Well, use that poetry journey wisely. You're gonna need it. It does make me curious as to what it's translated from, what level of bad this was in Japanese. Or maybe it wasn't bad, maybe the sky's as brilliant as our favorite poet Professor Oak. Who can say? Poetry is subjective. But anyway, that is today's episode number 55. Thank you so much for listening. We didn't get a proper gym battle today, but Ash is at least in the vicinity, like it is coming, and I am so excited. So look forward to that, and until next time, this has been Peek Happy Podcast. Gotta catch them all.